Uh, Numbers chapter 13 is where we will be studying Numbers 13, and we're going to be looking at obstacles or opportunities, and and through that also um, fear and faith. And if you notice the last two songs that we sang, one was Great is Thy Faithfulness, and then the last song we sang is How Can I Fear? And so we're going to be focusing on these uh, from Numbers chapter 13. Before we, before we read this morning, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open up your word, I thank you that we have copies of it to open, that, that we can say, open your Bible and hear the pages turning, and, and that we can see it for ourselves. Lord, I thank you for the ability to, uh, to see it, to hear it, to read it uh, in a language that we understand. Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that your spirit would guide us today, that, that you would be the one directing everything that I say. Lord, that our hearts would be on you, that our focus would be on you, that all distractions would be removed. Lord, thank you that you desire to teach us through your word, and I thank you that you have given your spirit to help do that. In your name I pray, amen. So Numbers chapter 13, and for the sake of time, we're not going to read all the way through this chapter. But in verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So we see the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send them out to spy on the land that I'm going to give you. Now, if you skip down to verse 17, the verses in between that we see, the men are chosen and are sent out, uh, leaders from each tribe. And in verse 17, it says, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, or whether there are forests or there are not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Then in the next couple verses, we see that they go up into the land and they they survey it and they find, uh, it says that they found grapes and they cut off a branch and they had to it was so big they had to carry it between two of them and they found pomegranates and figs now skip down to verse 26 and it says now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron after they had surveyed the land and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land then they told him and said we went to the land where you sent us It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruits. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and also by the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And and they gave the children of Israel a bad report 
of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies in the land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in in it are men of great stature. There we saw the, saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, uh, came from giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who uh, were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is exceeding good land. It is a, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread, their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So we see that Moses sends out uh 12 men to go and spy on the land and to see, to, to check it out. Um, the story is told of a, of a shoe salesman that was sent to a re- remote part of the country. And when he got there, he was just greatly disappointed because when he got there, he noticed that none of the people were wearing shoes. And so he sent back message to his company saying, no prospect for sales. None of the people wore shoes, so he packed up and went home. A couple of years later, another salesman from a different company was sent there, and he saw the same thing, and he was greatly enthused. And he sent back to his company, great potential. People don't wear shoes here. Now, they saw the same thing, but they saw it from two different perspectives. Now, the ten that reported back to Moses and to the people saw the giants, they saw the people of the land, and they could not get past it. They saw things through their own eyes. But the two, Caleb and Joshua, saw that God had already promised them the land and that nothing could stand in God's way. So you have the ten that were seeing things from man's perspective of, yes, the land is is great, it's perfect, um, But look at what's standing in our way. Look at the difficulties that are in front of us. We cannot overcome that. Where the two saw, God has already promised it. He has led us all this way, and nothing is going to be able to stand in front of us. So in in their lives, they saw the difficulties that came in. And we must expect difficulties in our lives as well. Even being in God's will does not remove any difficulties from coming into our life. So we need to expect difficulties. So we see that they were given a great opportunity, a land, it says, that flowed with milk and honey. But were they going to have faith or were they going to be filled with fear? 
According to most studies, the number one fear people have is what? Any guesses? Speaking in front of people. Public speaking. Number one fear. Do you know what number two is? The fear of death. So number one fear people have is getting up and speaking in front of people. And number two is the fear of death. Now, we, we share that to the just how irrational our fear is at times. A comedian said that. Um, so this goes to show that if, if you have to go to a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than give the eulogy. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't know if they would take it that far. But how irrational our fear is at times. So faith or fear. Fear covers our eyes of God's promises. God had promised them the land. In verse 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men out to the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe send them. He already had promised that he was going to give it to them. It was theirs for the taking. God had promised, but when they saw what they were up against, they were fearful. In Deuteronomy, where we see the Deuteronomy chapter 1, where we see uh, this account talked about, we see that it was not God that initially uh, decided to send out the spies. In Deuteronomy 1 and verse 20, it says, And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God, your father, has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word of the way by which we should go up of the cities into which we shall come. So we see that the people asked, hey, let's God promised to give them the land. And the people said, hey, let's send some men into it. That way we can see what the land is like. If you look in verse 17 where Moses is sending these men out, then we see that he says, Moses sent them out to spy the land, and he says, go this way into the south and go into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, And whether there are forests or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, Moses sends them out and he says, go and survey the land. See if it's a good land. Now, you have to ask, why is Moses commanding them that when this is the land that God had promised? Do you think that God was going to give them a terrible place? No, God had promised a great land, but the people were not trusting God. They were not placing their faith in him. So their fear covered their eyes of God's promise. Even though God had promised the land, they still could not, they, their fear took hold of them. And many times we have the fear of the unknown. Uh, the story is told of several, several generations ago, uh, during a turbulent war in the middle in the Middle East, a spy was captured and sentenced to death. And the general of the Persian army, a man of intelligence and compassion, had adopted a, a strange 
unusual custom in cases like this. He gave the condemned man a choice. He said, I'm going to leave it up to you whether you would choose to die by firing squad or whether you would choose to pass through this black door. So they gave the sentence man this option and they gave him a few days for him to think about it before the sentence would be carried out. As the moment of the execution drew near, the general ordered the spy to come forward and tell them what he had come up with. The prisoner thought about it greatly and he said, it's not an easy decision, but I prefer to be killed by a firing squad. So that night, they carried that order out, and shortly after, the, the volley of shots rang out in the courtyard, and the sentence was fulfilled. The general, looking over at his aide, said, You see how it is with men. They always prefer the known to the unknown. It is a characteristic of people to be afraid of the undefined. Yet I gave him the choice. The aide looked at the general and he said, what lies behind the black door? The general looked at him and he said, freedom. And I've only known a few men brave enough to take it. Now, how true that that is of the known often keeps us captive of the unknown. Because of their fear, they did not take hold of God's promises. They would have rather stayed slaves in Egypt. And I find it amazing, too, that they say, let us point, appoint a leader to take us back into Egypt. You know, we're not going to stay here. Let's go back into Egypt, back into slavery. So, Fear will blind us from God's promises, but fear also causes us to forget what God has already done. We know this in in looking at the life of the children of Israel, how God brought them out of Egypt through the miracles that were done. They saw that. They also saw how God parted the sea for them and they walked across on dry land. But yet, how many times do we, just like they, forget what God has already done in our lives? He has saved us. He has forgiven us. And how many times has he shown you his working in your life? And later on, we forget and we doubt and we don't trust his promises. That's why it's important for us to set reminders so that we see, hey, remember when God did this in our lives? He often told the children, you know, set a pillar to so when your kids ask, what is that there for? You can tell them of how I saved you. So do you have pillars in your life of reminders of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness? So when people ask, what what is that there? What what what's the significance? You can say, well, that's to remind me of how God was faithful in this difficult time, how God showed me his love. So we need to continually set reminders because fear will cause us to forget how God has worked in our life. But then we need to look and see that faith. The opposite of fear gives us the courage to do what is right. David, uh, just mentioning the name David, you automatically think of David and Goliath. David took a stand for what was right. And when he fought Goliath, he remembered how God had already worked in his life. In 1 Samuel 17 and verse 37, it says, Moreover, David said, 
the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So what was he doing? He was looking back how God had already shown himself faithful, and that gave him great faith and great courage looking forward. And then in 1 Samuel 17, later on in verse 44, it says, The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the bird of the air and the wild beasts of the field, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Look at the confidence that that gave David going forward. Hey, the battle is the Lord's. These 10 spies that went into the land, they should have been saying the same thing. Hey, this land is is great. And they did focus on, you know, a land flowing with milk and honey. But then they said, but the people in the land were no match for them. They're right. They weren't. But they didn't see that the battle is the Lord's. They were trying to take the battle upon themselves and it wasn't theirs. God had already promised it to them. Caleb and Joshua spoke up, though, and they had faith to, in what God had promised. In Numbers, um, Numbers 14 and verse 9, it says, Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. Saying, God is with us. Stop being fearful of these peoples. Uh, Romans 8 and verse 31 What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? We, as God's children, should have great faith in him. Of all people, we should be filled with faith to say, God has called me to do this. He is going to equip me to do this and to carry this out. So faith gives us courage to do what is right, and faith causes us to see things from God's perspective. Um, Ten men, as we mentioned, saw things from their own point of view. Two of them saw things from God's view. Uh, As I mentioned, they brought out the point that the land was flowing with milk and honey. And it kind of creates an interesting picture in your mind, doesn't it? A land flowing with milk and honey. But the point of that was to say that it was a land that was good for grazing for pasture, one that their livestock would produce lots of milk. It was also a land that was going to produce, uh, there would be lots of flowering, lots of growth that would produce lots of honey. And they said, this is a great land that God has given us and he's already promised it. So faith looks away from the greatness of the difficulty and looks to the greatness of God. So instead of looking at circumstances and seeing wow, this is beyond me, I, I, I better not even attempt it. Instead of looking at how great the difficulty is, it sees how great of a God that we serve. So my question is, do you see that? In looking at difficulties in your life, trials that come into your life, do you see them through your own eyes, through 
there is no hope in this case? Or do you see them from God's perspective, knowing that nothing is too hard for for him? And maybe the unsaved life of a family member or a friend that you have tried to witness to, and there just seems to be no hope there. Do you say, I know that we serve a powerful God who is able to save, who is able to change a heart? Do you see it through God's perspective? Do you look at your marriage or maybe a marriage of a family member who is going through difficult times and you say, man, I don't see a lot of hope here. There's not a lot of good coming out of it. But I know that God can work. And I'm going to depend on that. I'm going to have faith that God is going to work here. Do you look at maybe your kid's life and you say, with young kids, how are we going to raise them? Uh, There's so much evil all around. There's so much evil within. How are we going to raise them? Are you seeing it through your eyes or are you seeing, you know what? God has given us these kids. He's going to equip us to raise them for his honor and glory. Maybe you have grown kids that are not walking with God and you say, nothing seems to be helping. Do you have faith that God is at work? Even if we can't see it, God had already promised them the land, but they couldn't see it. He had already removed their defense, but they couldn't see it. What about your health? What about our nation? Uh, It seems like our nation is in unrest right now with the whole presidential election going on, and everybody seems to be mad at everyone. Can you trust that God is in control? Can you cast that on him? Can you rely on him for your future, giving you faith, seeing it from God's perspective? So, Fear and faith are complete opposites. So how do we have victory over fear? Just want to look at a few things quick. For victory over fear, focus on God's truth. Focus on his word. In Philippians 4 and verse 8, um, Paul reminds us to dwell on the things that are true, that are honorable, that are just, that are lovely. So when those thoughts come in to your mind, there is no hope. There is Nothing that can be done. We've tried everything. And despair starts to sink in and fear starts to sink in. Say, am I thinking on the things that are true? Am I thinking on the things that are lovely, that are pure? Nothing will fix your faith and strengthen your faith more than the word of God. As we rely on the word of God, our faith grows. Why? We see how he worked. We see how... He worked in David's life, how he worked in others, that God is in control. We see in Proverbs that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as we read those things, our faith is strengthened, our faith grows. So to have victory, focus on God's truth, on his word, but then focus on God's presence. We can be comforted remembering that we are not alone. In Psalm 46, Uh, David focused on this and said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Can you say that today that, Lord, you are my refuge and strength. I'm relying on you. I'm not relying on myself. I know that you are with me today. Do you focus on his presence? But then for victory over fear, focus on God's grace. God's promise to provide 
for us with all sufficient grace for every trial. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, therefore, more gladly will I boast of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Can you say today, Lord, I know that your grace is sufficient. Or are we seeking other things to find satisfaction? We're seeking, Lord, I know you promised your grace is sufficient, but it would be really nice to have this too. Are we relying on him for victory over fear focused on God's sovereignty, that God is in control in every situation in my life? Not just certain ones, not just this situation, but that God is in control of everything. In Daniel chapter four, it says all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is in control. He alone is in control. Even when in your own life, it seems what is going on? Things are seem to be spinning out of control. Rest in God's sovereignty that he alone is in control. But then to have victory over fear, focus on the fact that God hears. That if you cry into the Lord, God hears. Isn't it a blessing to know that you don't have to make an appointment to talk to God? You don't have to set it up a month in advance to talk to God. That you can go to him at any time and it's not, well, I'm sorry, God is wore out today. He doesn't have time to see you. No, his strength knows no limits. God hears. That's why in Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. What a relief it is to know that when I cry unto God, he hears me. It may be the only place that you can cry out, but God hears and he is in control. But then for victory over fear, focus on God's faithfulness or God's trustworthiness. Psalm 56 and verse 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? God's faithfulness. This goes back to the first point of focusing on God's word. We see his faithfulness throughout all of scripture, and he is faithful today. And then lastly, Focus on God's big picture plan. See how every trial that comes, that God is working it it for good in your life. So every difficulty that comes, God is working it for good in your life. That as we seek him, as we cry out to him, it's working in my life to bring me closer to him for his good. So, If you were one of the ones chosen to go into the land and and spy out the land, what report would have you given? Do you tend to see things through man's perspective of, wow, look at the difficulty here? Or would you have been like Caleb and Joshua and said, hey, this land is ready. God has prepared it. Everything's ready to go. Let's move. It's, It's ready for us. Which one, which camp would you have been in? 
Would you have been the one ruled by faith or the one ruled by fear? Remember, Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and for the examples that you've given of of men of faith as well as men who sinned and did not show faith in you. Lord, I thank you that we can trust that you are trustworthy 100% of the time. I thank you that we can cry out to you in our home, here at the church, at work, wherever we might be, that we can cry unto you and know that you hear. Lord, I thank you that you are filled with compassion. And I thank you that you also are working in our, in our lives and in our hearts to make us people that are controlled by faith and not by fear. Lord, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed.